For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Hello, and you are listening to the Church Militant Podcast, a podcast that exists to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith, to take up the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, to see Christ as worthy of all sacrifice, and to fight the good fight of faith. It's been a while since our last podcast, as any of you uh, with normal lives would could imagine and easily understand, especially those of you who are like myself. You have a large family, self-employed, a lot of things going on. So I apologize that it's been a while since our last episode. But I wanted to come to you today and talk uh, and give you some of my thoughts about the landmark decision with the Supreme Court of the United States overturning Roe versus Wade. The first initial thought that I have is praise God. Praise God. All glory be to God alone. Uh, This is the response of those who love God's law. Because God's law says, Thou thou shalt not commit murder. And we know, um, as the Westminster Standards articulate to us, that the essence of that commandment means that we should do everything to preserve life. And so, we need to understand that this is an occasion for the people of God to give praise to God that the highest court in our land has overturned a decision that was based on faulty science, a decision that is anti-God, a decision that is hostile toward God's law, a decision that has cost millions and millions and millions of children their lives, a decision, uh, a prior decision when the Supreme Court first ruled in Roe v. Wade Uh, That was a decision that has ruined countless families, that has sent millions of souls into eternity. So as the people of God, we should love His law. Uh, The people of God should love His commandments, and they should not be burdensome to Him. Uh, Great peace have those who love your law. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. So when we see, even in a nation as ours that has forsaken God and His law, will not have God rule over them. When we see sinful men make a decision that is in line with the law of God, then we should have our hearts filled with worship And we should praise and we should feast and we should celebrate. And we should let the world around us know that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. That God's law is good. We also need to understand, uh, my initial thought is, is to praise God. But my second thought is to remember that this does not mean that abortion is over in the United States of America. The power to determine the legality of abortion not the morality, notice I said morality, not, not the morality 
of abortion. Uh, it is murder, and it is wrong, and it is immoral, it is a sin, it is a crime. It's both. It's murder. Uh, but now the legality, the ability of people to seek out, pay for someone to medically dismember their children, that power will go back to the states. Uh, maybe you've, some of you have seen the clip going around uh, back when Donald Trump was running for president uh, the first time against Hillary Clinton, and he was asked what he thought about Roe versus Wade and the Supreme Court overturning it, and he re kept reiterating that point. Well, if, if the Supreme Court does overturn Roe, then the power will go back to the states. And the reason this is important to mention here is because this is a good reminder for the people of God about why local government matters. This is why local government matters. This is why everybody needs to be educated in the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. We need to understand how our local politics work. We need to understand uh, how our county politics work. We need to understand how our state politics work. We need to understand how the state legislature operates. We need to understand how laws are made. Uh, we need to understand, and one thing we failed to understand for years with Roe versus Wade is that the Supreme Court is not a legislative branch of government. It's a judicial branch. So our Supreme Courts and our state courts do not legislate and make law. That happens in the legislative branch. Uh, we need to understand these things, and we need to understand local government matters. We need to know who our, our local legislation board is. We need to know who the members are. We need to know who our city council member members are. There's a, there's a good brother of mine, and he and I speak on these types of things regularly, and one thing we've often discussed is that the, the small town we both grew up in and, and come from, there are no abortion clinics in that town. But in conversations he've, he has had with people who run the pharmacies at the, the local box stores and in the, the family-owned small business pharmacies, they can't keep the morning-after pill on the shelf. So abortions are still happening. People are still putting chemicals into their body and murdering children in the womb. Local legislation needs to be put in place to where the big box stores and all the way down to the local pharmacies cannot carry drugs that cause abortions. This is where Christians need to go. We need to speak to our local legislators. We need to speak to our city council members. We need to know what their views are on these things and what their plans are in relationship to these things from our local city government all the way up to the state legislature. This is why men like Pastor Jeff Durbin are doing the things they're doing and trying to get legislation passed in the states to abolish abortion. So although we're praising God, we need to understand the way that our government operates here in this nation and understand that the power does go back to the states. And this is why local government matters. This is why state government matters. This is why you don't just go to the voting booth at election time and as if someone has an r beside their name or a d beside their name that's your party so you're you're filling in that candidate we need to know and and i would add to that christians need to be running for offices we need people who love god and who love his law holding political office in this country local legislation and local politics matter and then thirdly, 
uh, and I guess what we'll spend the majority of our time on. Not, um, my initial thought is praise God. My second thought is remember that power now goes back to the state, so the battle isn't over. Local government matters. And then thirdly, I just want to deal with some popular rhetoric that I've been seeing around. Obviously, in a situation like this, anybody anybody who is a professing Christian and understands that the law of the Lord is good and understands that life begins at the moment of conception and understands, as we read from Psalm 139, God forms a baby in a mother's womb. And in the God's book are predestined all the days of our life, even before we've lived them, that God is the author of life and that any unjust taking of a life in the womb or otherwise is a sin against God who is the author of life and is a crime against man. So I want to deal with those of you who have been sharing on social media or having conversations with people at work. I want to go through some of the popular rhetoric that you're, pro you're probably running into. This is the stuff that I'm seeing a lot. And I just want to go through how to engage and dialogue with people in a civil way, in a gracious way, but also in a biblical way. We have to remember the scripture tells us to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. But also, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. So there is a proper way to answer the fool. There is a way to go back and forth emotionally, throwing out your opinions or, or something that you've heard, but you have no idea the, the nature of the argument. You have no idea the, the biblical precedent behind you don't know You don't know what you're talking about, and you're just going back and forth with the fool. That's answering the fool according to his folly but in a way you're becoming like him. We want to answer the fool, not according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So the first one, the first thing that I've seen is women literally posting videos on social media in tears saying the age-old argument, my body, my choice. The Supreme Court has made this decision, and now I'm being told what I can and can't do with my body. Okay, well, let's analyze that. Actually, what you're being told is the Supreme Court no longer offers federal protection to allow you to go and pay someone to perform a procedure in which the baby in your womb will be dismembered, sucked out, and disposed of as biochemical waste. That's actually what you're being told you can't do. You still want to violate God's law and live a life of sexual immorality? Supreme Court hasn't made a decision on that. You still want to run off into all kinds of, of wickedness, adultery, fornication? Supreme Court hasn't made a decision on that. Nobody's telling you what you can't do or can do with your body, what they are saying is the science actually supports life at conception and therefore the federal government no longer is protecting someone's ability to end a life even if it's inside of your womb. You think about it. Imagine the horrors 
of abortion, the murder of unborn babies, the horrors of that. And for those of you listening who have ever stood on outside of an abortion clinic, a murder mill, and engage with the people going in, they're not going in remorseful. They're not most of them. I've never engaged someone going into the abortion clinic who was distraught because they just were making a, an unbelievable decision and I couldn't possibly understand the weight and the responsibility and how difficult of decision it was. Actually, you see quite the opposite. You see, you see mothers demonically raging against the preaching of God's word. You see men and women slur just the most vulgar, the most vulgar language and gestures, even at, at women and children who are there attempting to minister, offering adoption, offering prenatal care, offering financial assistance. So the argument, my body, my choice, it attempts all these little sub-branches of, of appealing to emotional arguments and things like that. But in reality, you know, it's, 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 it's not your body. It's someone else's body. If it were your body, then you would die during the procedure, but you don't die. If it were your body, your arms would be pulled off. Your brains would be sucked out. Your spinal cord would be severed. None of that happens to you. It actually, that happens to someone else's body. That's not your body. It's someone else's body. So if you want to be on the side of the people who have been screaming for the past two and a half years, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. And my body, my choice is not a scientific argument. And by the way, the same line of argument, if someone is walking around a supermarket and they're not in their right mind, they're, they're struggling with their mental capacity, and they've got a butter knife, or, or they've got any kind of knife, and they're sitting there attempting to stab themselves in the chest. Any person with a modicum of decency is going to do everything they can to stop them from hurting themselves. Nobody's going to look at that person and say, well, it's their body, their choice. Let them do what they want. So that argument is not founded in science. It's been debunked. It's been disproven. It's just somebody repeating what they've heard. So we can respond to that, you know, on the level of the science, which most people, they know the science. It's not, it's not a question of science. But the, the way that I always like to respond to that is, you know, if it, if it were your body, then your arms would be pulled off. Your legs would be cut off. Your spinal cord would be severed. Your brains would be sucked out. You would be put in a bio biological waste bag and thrown in the dumpster out back but that doesn't happen to you that happens to someone else's body therefore my body my choice is not a valid argument the second thing i've seen and this comes all the way down from speaker pelosi uh, uh the president has has used this rhetoric elizabeth warren has used this rhetoric people from my own hometown have used this rhetoric second thing that i've been hearing is that Women have lost access to health care. Because of this decision, now women no longer have access to the health care that they need. Well, let's just, let's just evaluate that if we, if we can. 
a woman can still go see the obstetricianist, the gynecologist. A woman can still go to her local family doctor and be prescribed birth control. A woman can still go to the health clinic, the free health clinics, I might add, a local health clinic, and have a complete, completely free, full range of woman's care. None of that's been taken away. And all of the intricacies about state and local legislation aside, if you did want to just operate on this simple presumption that the Supreme Court has ended abortion, which again, the power goes back to the states, but if, if people are operating and responding emotionally to that reality, oh, the Supreme Court has ended abortion, well, then the only thing that a woman has lost the ability to do is to go have her child murdered. So they haven't lost access to any kind of health care. And just a word here on the importance of language. This is why language matters. Because for the past 30, past 49 years that Roe v. Wade has been the decision of the Supreme Court, politicians and healthcare professionals and the upper echelons of higher learning have been pushing this language of healthcare, 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 women's healthcare, women's care, female care, mother, motherly care, healthcare, even the, 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 the the murder mill of Planned Parenthood. I mean, they don't call themselves an abortion clinic. They're Planned Parenthood, right? They're putting this out there that we're about, we're about helping women. We're about, we're about health care. And for too long, the church has sat back and not engaged in this battle of language. No, it isn't health care. It's murder. No, it isn't health care. You're murdering your child. No, it isn't health care. You're sucking your baby's brains out. No, it isn't health care. They're going to they're gonna wad your baby up and throw him in a dumpster out back. That's not health care. In fact, if your child was struggling with a life-threatening illness, a disease, cancer, or some other rare form of disease, and you took them to the children's hospital, and while you go down to the cafeteria to to get some food or, or you're bringing someone up to visit, you come back to the room and your child's missing and they tell you, oh, well, we, we dismembered them, we cut their arms and legs off, we, we sucked their brains out, we collapsed their skull, we severed their spinal cord, we put the contents in this biochemical waste bin and it's going to be thrown out back. Even, just the, even me saying that, the horrors of that seem so unreal, so bizarre so wicked, so evil beyond imagination. Imagine the rage, the fury, and the vengeance that a parent would have, and rightly so. That's what abortion is. Except the mother's not downstairs in the cafeteria not knowing what's going on. She's paying to have it done. And the father, if he's involved, he knows what's happening, and he's paying to have it done. So women have not lost access to health care. That's not true. The third bit of rhetoric that I've seen, and this also came from the president and other politicians all the way down to people that, I've, that I know have grown up with, people who profess to be Christians. Abortion is a right, they say. Our president said in his first public speech about this that women have been robbed of a fundamental constitutional right. I don't know when the last time you actually pulled out the Constitution 
and read through it. But there's nothing in our founding documents that give anyone a fundamental constitutional right, which our founders recognized these inalienable rights come from God himself. We are created equal and are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's nothing in there about the right to murder your child. Nothing. Read the preamble, read the Constitution, read the amendments that have been added to it. There's nothing in there that gives you the fundamental right if you are a woman who is with child to go have that child murdered. So that's just factually incorrect. Here's an argument that I've seen. Surprisingly, this came from a young woman that I had served on the mission field alongside of. Our president had said in his first initial response to Roe versus Wade being overturned, he had said this, poor women are going to be hit the hardest. Poor women are going to be hit the hardest. So what he was saying in that is that the majority of abortions in this country, the majority of babies who are murdered come from low-income families. And I, I posted on social media, our president said this, poor women are going to be hit the hardest. And then I said, in other words, what he's saying is, not as many poor children are going to be murdered now. America should be outraged. And I had this lady, this young woman, I guess, well, I knew her when she was a young woman. Let me put it that way. I don't guess either of us are that young anymore. I knew her when she was a young woman. She, she said on, my, on, this pay, on this post, she implored me to do research into the effects of poverty and malnutrition on developing children in the womb and, and young children early in life to know what I'm talking about because poverty and malnutrition negatively affect developing children and young children. My response to that was, that is true. Poverty, poor living conditions, a mother who smokes or drinks, lives an unhealthy lifestyle. You know, she's drinking seven or eight sodas a day, and she's smoking, and she's taking a bunch of, of medicine she's not supposed to take. She lives a rough lifestyle, or when the baby comes out, and, and the baby's born, and she doesn't take care of them properly. The baby's malnourished. All of these things do have a negative impact on the development of a child. I have seven children, so I've seen a lot of child, a lot of children, a lot of children grow in the womb, be brought into the world, grow up through their childhood. I've seen that a lot, and I understand what she's saying. She makes a good point. That is a point. The problem is the point has nothing to do with what the president said. Has nothing to do with the excuse being made. Just because a child is going to struggle in 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 development, or just because a child is going to struggle and not have the nutrition that they need to, that doesn't give us the right to murder that child. And in fact, the, the best way to respond to that is just by changing the situation slightly. Say, okay, let's say, let's say a woman, she, she's using the excuse that she can't take care of this baby, she can't provide for it properly, she can't feed it, she can't give, it the pre, she can't give herself the prenatal care that she needs, she just can't take care of a baby she doesn't want the child to have a hard life. She doesn't want them to be 
improperly developed. She doesn't want them to, to struggle in their development through, through their infancy, through their toddler years. So she's just going to have an abortion. Let's change that. Let's say there's a woman who has a child. Say it's a baby, nine months old. Her and her husband both have good, steady jobs. Everything's great. The baby's well taken care of. It's to go to all of its checkups. The mom's healthy. The food they eat is healthy. The house they live in is nice and clean. They have everything right, everything as they should. But then the dad is in an accident and he dies. The mom loses everything. She's no longer able to, to adequately take care of the child. Now the child is going to be malnourished. The child's not going to get the same clean house that it had. It's not going to get the same nice, healthy food, access to food that it had. Nor is the mom. She's going to have to be working, not going to be able to take care of the baby the way it needs to be. It's going to get put in, in a bad situation at some nasty daycare center where they're smoking and they don't take care of the baby. You just paint the worst picture imaginable. Does that mean now that woman has the right to say, well, my baby's not going to get the development it needs, the nutrition it needs. It's going to live an impoverished life. So I'm going to kill it because it's for its own good. Poverty and malnutrition do not justify murder. So that's, that argument won't stand. Here's another one that I've seen. Well, now think about how many unwanted children there are going to be. How many children are going to be forced to live in fatherless homes? I sure hope that all you Christians who are celebrating Roe versus Wade being overturned are lined up to adopt these children or lined up to provide for them, to provide these mothers with medical care, to provide these mothers with formula, to provide these families who can't afford insurance with insurance. Well, first of all, 90% of the people screaming that are so far left towards socialism. They've been working for years to put these social programs in place. I grew up my family was very close to the social service system because my, my parents did foster care. And I can tell you that people who are not able to work or unwilling to work, and they have children, all they have to do is, is go to social services and they will roll out the red carpet for them. But aside from that point, just because a child is unwanted doesn't mean you can murder that child. A man who will not do his responsibility and provide for his children and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, he's a bum, he's a fornicator, he's impregnated a woman, and now he's run off and he won't stay, so the baby's going to grow up, the child's going to grow up in a, in a home without a father. That's no right to kill that baby. The sin and the error and the wrong and the immorality is on the part of the father. That doesn't mean... That we as a society or the woman as a mother has a right to punish and end that child's life because of the sins of the father. And that will come up again later. And then also, I've seen things, all of you, all of you Christians, are you going you gonna better be willing to, to set up and adopt all these unwanted children now? Well, first of all, again, as I mentioned, I have seven children. I don't go around asking anyone to take care of my children because it's not their job. It's not someone else's job to take care of my children. It's my job to take care of my children. I engage in the activity that's created life, and I've brought these lives into the world. 
And now I have the responsibility to nourish them, to provide for them, to protect them, to teach them. I don't ask anyone else to take care of my children. I work like a dog, two jobs to take care of my children. It's not my job to take care of your children. If you've engaged in the act that has created life inside the the womb of a mother, now it is your job to take care of those children. It's not my job to take care of your children. If you're grown up enough to do the act, then you've grown up enough to assume the responsibility and take care of those children yourself. And you think about the essence of that argument. The essence of that argument is saying, I'm mature enough to have a sexual relationship, but not responsible enough to take care of the children that come from it. So I want to have unprotected sex, normally with multiple partners, and who cares what happens to the kids that come from it? If y'all don't want to adopt them, then I'll just kill them. Is that really the argument that the left wants to take? And that's the nature of the argument. And again, you can take almost all of these arguments as they relate to children, and you just change the age from a child developing in the womb to six months old. A woman has a child. This guy promises he's going to stay with her, going to take care of her. He leaves her when the baby's born, decides he doesn't want to be involved. She can't find anybody to adopt the child. He won't come and take care of it. Does that mean that now she can kill this baby? You see that on the news and you know what people say? How could someone do that to their baby? I remember my wife and I, it's, it's been a, a few years ago. We were sitting around in the evening, you know, scrolling through social media as you do. And she came upon this news report where there was this couple, a young couple. I think they were, you know, range 18 to 22, something like that. And they had taken their seven-month-old baby, put this baby in the backyard in a swing, a baby swing in the backyard. When the police found this baby dead, the medical examiner estimated that this baby had been out in the backyard in that swing for 20-some days. And I remember tears coming in my eyes as I can hear my children in their rooms playing. And I remember my wife said to me, how could someone do that to their baby? And the argument from the parents was, we just didn't want it. That's the essence of this argument. Now there's going to be all these unwanted children. I hope you all are lined up to adopt them. Just because a child is unwanted by its parents doesn't give those parents the right to murder that child. Here's another, another one that I've seen. And I will say up front that after some back and forth with this person, it was a civil conversation. And it ended on a friendly note. But this was the essence. There was a mother and a daughter wearing, wearing matching shirts that said, No uterus no opinion, which is ironic since the left, as Matt Walsh has recently pointed out in his documentary, the left can't even define for you what a woman is. You remember the recent appointee that was setting before the Judiciary Committee or, or setting before the appointee committee 
when asked what a woman was, she said, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. Okay? Well, biologically, men with a Y chromosome do not have a uterus. And yet all of a sudden, now that the Supreme Court has made this decision, everybody's screaming, no uterus, no opinion. Till you grow a uterus, come, don't come back and have an opinion on what a woman can do with her body. Well, first of all, just the hypocrisy, the outright contradiction, the, the willingness to speak out of both sides of your mouth is just, it's laughable, really. It shows that you're a bunch of little children throwing a tantrum. But secondly, and this is from the Christian worldview, Morality and immorality, righteousness and unrighteousness do not depend on my biological makeup. Murdering children is wrong in the eyes of God, whether you are a man or a woman. And God's law has revealed this to men and women, and the absolute truth of it stands regardless of whether you are a woman or a man. No uterus, no opinion. That's the equivalent of the, of that, that would be the equivalent of in the 1800s saying, no plantation, no opinion on slavery. You've got the people in the north who don't own plantations who are saying, oh, chateau slavery is, is awful, it's, it's an atrocity, it's immoral, we need to put an end to it. Imagine, imagine the slaveholder saying back, no plantation, no opinion. Okay, well, whether I own a plantation or not is irrelevant to the morality or immorality of slavery. Whether I have a uterus or not is irrelevant to the morality or immorality of ripping children from the womb or chemically killing them in the womb. That argument won't stand. And it won't hold up to their own worldview because... As we've seen Jeff Durbin demonstrate before at the abortion clinics, I'll never forget when he first said to the woman who told him, you, as a man, you can't say, you don't get the right to say what a woman can or can't do with her body. And his response was, why would you assume I identify as a man? You don't know how I identify. And you see the lunacy of their worldview come collapsing in on them. Because when you reject God and you reject His Word and you reject His law, your worldview cannot hold together. It is in Christ that all things consist. It is in Christ that all things are held together. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. It is in Him that all things hold together. If you reject Him and you reject His Word and you reject His law, it will not hold together. Along that same lines, here's some popular rhetoric that I have heard. Well, a fetus is not a human. And normally they're arguing one of a few things. They're arguing the level of development. So a fetus, you know, they say four weeks, six weeks, nine weeks, 16 weeks, 28 weeks, 32 weeks, whatever. At that specific level of development, a fetus isn't considered a human yet. It's not fully developed. Well, I've got news for you. My 21-month-old twins are not fully developed. They don't, they don't speak that clearly. Terribly unathletic, can't walk up and down stairs by themselves. They could not cook a meal by themselves. They're not fully developed. Does that mean that we have the right to murder them if we decide we don't want them anymore? If they're not arguing the level of development, then they're probably arguing the level of dependence. 
if this if this fetus, they say, they will not say baby. Some of the wicked ones will say baby because they're proud to be killing babies as they're worshiping their false gods and offering child sacrifices to them. But some, most of them will say fetus or or something along those lines. And if they want to argue the level of dependence, they'll say, if you took this fetus outside of me, it couldn't survive on its own. Well, again, neither could my 21-month-old twins. If I took them and put them outside, they couldn't survive on on their own. They don't know how to drive. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to write. They don't know how to work. They don't know how to cook. They couldn't survive without someone who is more developed than them taking care of them and providing for them. So if level of development... Or level of dependence is the route you want to argue, though then that applies to small children as well. Should we gather up all the children who are dependent on parents who decide, you know what, I don't want this responsibility. I just, I'm not emotionally capable of handling this much responsibility to take care of this child, and it can't survive without dependence on me, so I'm going to murder it. Another argument they're trying to make when they say a fetus is not a human yet, they, they want to argue that it can't feel pain or that, it, or that a baby in the womb feels and processes pain differently. Well, not only has that been scientifically debunked, but also all of these arguments, the level of development, level of dependence, the ability to feel and process pain like we do, those are the same arguments that were used to promote and preserve slavery. People who were abusing their slaves would say, oh, the slave is not a human. It's property. There are more slaves in the world right now than there ever have been. More people trapped in sex slavery than there ever have been slaves in any other time in human history that we know of. People look at those slaves as less than human. They treat them as less than human. They drug them up. Make them to where they can't take care of themselves, make them where they can't even process what's going on, and then they abuse those people. And people say, that's awful. That's atrocious. We need to do everything we can to end it. And they're right. But those are the same arguments that you're using to support abortion. And those are the same arguments that were used to promote and preserve slavery, not just in our own day, but in the days before The war between the states. And those were also, by the way, the views of African Americans held by Margaret Sanger, who planned, who who founded Planned Parenthood. Here's another argument that I've seen, and, and this one comes from the president as well. Well, now victims of rape and incest will be forced to carry the child of their abuser. And the reality of that argument is this. If your father commits a crime against your mother that is worthy of death, then your mom should have the right to kill you, the baby. That's the argument. If your father is a rapist, or your father is an ancestral rapist, then that gives your mother the right to kill you. How many women have been raped or have been the victim the victims of incest who have made the decision to carry their babies and have their children. How many of those children exist? How many of them have grown into adults? How many many people are out there today that are a consequence of rape? 
Does that mean that we as a society or their mothers now later in life have the right to gather them up and murder them? A baby should not be murdered because their father is a criminal. Here's one that I've heard a lot. This, will, this is going to greatly jeopardize the health of the mother. What about, here's the argument, what about, what about tubal pregnancies? Are you really going to tell that woman that she can't have that abortion? That baby's not going to make it anyways. What about tubal pregnancies? Not a single person who is promoting that argument is stopping to give a statistic on the number of abortions that are performed in this country that are directly related to some type of medical emergency where some procedure is performed to try to save the life of the mother. Again, myself, other men that I know personally, other men whose ministries I follow, have spent hours, weeks, months, years ministering, proclaiming the gospel, offering to adopt children, doing all of these things outside of murder mills. And you're not going to find any of their footage where someone comes in and says, I'm here at Planned Parenthood today to get an abortion because if I don't, it's going to kill me. It's an argument from non-existence. I know there are, I know there are cases. I know there are cases where women have tubal pregnancies or other complications and the life of the mother is threatened. I understand. I'm not saying that those don't exist. I also know women who have had tubal pregnancies, who have been told, we need to abort the baby or you're going to die. And the mother refuses. Fallopian tube bursts. The baby is lost. The baby is miscarried. The baby dies. But not because the mama killed it. And the mama lived and she's fine and has other children. So it's not an excuse. A medical emergency or the life of the mother is not, <laughs> is not a viable excuse to murder a child. Let's say, that, let's say a mother is driving down the road with her children. Their car goes over a steep embankment. The mother and the children are hanging on the door as the door swinging open. The mother and the children are hanging on the door by the time fire and rescue get to them. The weight of the mother and the children is beginning to cause the door to break loose from the car. If the door breaks loose, they all fall to their death. Fire and rescue personnel says, we can't save all of you. Can you imagine the mother beginning to kick her children off the door to their death so that she can survive? That's the essence of this argument. If I don't kill this child, then I'm not gonna, I might not make it. Not, I definitely will die. I might not make it. That argument won't stand. It's immoral. Not only, again, the statistics do not support 
and and not and not even that. No no one who is who is walking around Washington D.C. in their scarlet letter or walking around D.C. with fake blood poured all over their bodies or or fake female organs on their head. No, those people who are acting stupid like that, showing that they worship the pagan gods of the of the day, those people are not even arguing and saying, "Okay, I understand. Millions of babies are being." murdered every year can the supreme court make a decision to allow exceptions for medical emergency none none of them are even arguing that the legislators aren't even arguing that the senators and the representatives and the president who are outraged they're not even arguing or pushing for that because that's not their agenda that isn't their goal they don't care about medical emergencies they care about making sure that the gods of this age are worshiped with the blood of the children of this nation that's what they care about and that's why we have to understand that this is a spiritual conflict. The pagans of old offered their children in the fires to Molech. The neo-pagans of the day are offering their children in the abortion clinics of Planned Parenthood. Here's another one that I get and I've seen a lot. Who are you to judge these women? You have no idea the difficulty in the decision that they have made. Let me ask you a question. If it's not a human, if it's just a clump of cells, why is that difficult? It's not a difficult decision for me to go to the bathroom and blow my nose when it's congested. It's not a difficult decision to me for me to go see the doctor when I have a stomach bug. It's not a difficult decision to me for me to bite my fingernails or to clip my fingernails and put them in the trash can, just getting rid of cells. Those aren't difficult decisions. So what is it about going in there and murdering your child that even resonates with your seared conscience to let you know that this is the wrong decision, that this is immoral? You're showing that the work of the law of God is written on your hearts and your conscience is giving you conflicting thoughts. That's what I would say first of all to that. And secondly, the scripture doesn't say judge not. It says judge not lest you be judged for with the judgment you use it will be also measured unto you. So that means as the people of God, we should judge by the standard of God because that's the standard we're going to be judged by. Scripture also says this in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything becomes exposed by the light, it is revealed. Who are we to judge these women? We are no one to judge these women. And we're not judging them. They have a judge. The lawgiver. The true and the living God. And he has fixed a day in which he will judge these women in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And he has given a testimony of this to all people by raising that man from the dead. That man is Jesus Christ. And finally, the way that we respond to all of this rhetoric is by pointing people to the hope that is found in Christ. Because we remember that passage in 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is laying out sins 
1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor men who practice homosexuality, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor coveters, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And we find murder and other sins written in the Apostle Paul and lists just like this, Galatians chapter 6, chapter 5. But here's what he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, the world wants to pull God off of his throne so that they're not accountable to anyone. The pagan gods of the age can be pacified with the performance of ritual, the blood of children. God says the wages of sin is death and all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. This standard, this perfect law. But here's the good news. That the God with whom you have to do, who has fixed the day in which he will judge the world, he has also undertaken everything necessary for your salvation. He sent his son into the world to live a life of perfect obedience in thought, in word, in deed, in action, in attitude, in desire. No sin was found in him. And then he went as a lamb to the slaughter, bearing the sins of his people on his back. And he drank down the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And he finished it. He said, it is finished. And then he goes and tastes death for his people. On the third day, he was raised by the glory of God. The testimony that God has accepted his sacrifice. And that God will judge the world by this man. He's raised him from the dead. And now he commands all men everywhere to repent. And this Jesus who was crucified says to you, Come and I will give you rest. Come. I am the sin bearer. Even if you have, even if you are a murderer, even if you've had an abortion, even if you've had 20, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you cast yourself on him, he will save you. There is forgiveness. There is salvation. There is hope and there is healing in Christ Jesus. I hope these things have been somewhat helpful. Pray for this nation. Pray that God would raise up righteous leaders, holy men, godly men who love God and who love his law. Pray for those whose whole worldview is crumbling in on their head because they are frantically terrified that they can no longer murder their children. And if you want to engage in some of these, these with some of this rhetoric, I hope, hope these things have been helpful. But remember, our goal is not to win arguments with people. Our goal is to, to point people to the Savior, to preach the gospel so that the name of Christ might be lifted up. You've been listening to the Church Militant Podcast. My name is Jordan Grogan. Thank you for listening.